She was the first woman in East and Central Africa to earn a doctorate. She's also the first African woman to win a Nobel Prize. And she won this Nobel Prize for founding the Greenbelt Movement, which is responsible for planting over 20 million trees worldwide, and also for her work in bringing democracy to Kenya. She studies hard and realizes that the root of almost all of Kenya's economic problems were environmental in nature and started a company called EnviroCare and their entire business was to plant trees. He filed for divorce in 1979 and in the court document stated that she was quote, too strong-minded for a woman and that he was quote, unable to control her. <laughs> Can you guys make sure that's that's what's on my gravestone? Welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Justin Xavier. I'm Sam Eggers. And I'm Sarah Gorski. And today, the broad that I have brought you to talk about is Wangari Muta Matai, uh, she is from Kenya. Has either of you heard of her before? No. No. I, I I also had not heard of her. So I wrote down first, why was she abroad? Because the definition of abroad based on our original episode was uh, a woman who lives by her own rules. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote down like the main kind of overview points of how she lived by her own rules. She was the first woman in East and Central Africa to earn a doctorate. Mm. Wow. She's also the first African woman to win a Nobel Prize. Oh. And she won this Nobel Prize for founding the Greenbelt Movement, uh, which is responsible for planting over 20 million trees worldwide since it started. That's awesome. What was the Nobel Peace Prize for? Starting the Greenbelt Movement. It was, it was more. The Greenbelt? Oh, okay. Yeah, and also for her work in bringing democracy to Kenya, which I did not know was a thing that she did when I started doing research on her. I just knew about the the planting 20 million trees thing, and I was like, that's cool, I want to cover her. And then as I was doing the research, I was like, oh, goodness, there's this whole additional thing about how she fought really hard to bring democracy to Kenya. And I've already done pages of notes on the Greenbelt thing, so I can't really add this whole other thing, but... Yeah, she did that too. Oh my god. Wow. She's she's incredible. You're both going to love her. So she was born April 1st, 1940 in Nairi, which is a, a rural village in the central highlands of Kenya. Her family was Kikuyu, which is uh, the most populous ethnic group of Kenya. Her family moved to a white-owned farm in the Rift Valley because her father found work there, but then she moved back to her village in 1947, when she was seven, uh, to attend school because there was no education available on the farm. From ages 11 to 15, she attended St. Cecilia's Intermediate Primary School, which was a Catholic boarding school, where she became fluent in English and converted to Catholicism. Yeah, and she joined the Legion of Mary, which was a group devoted to serving God by serving their fellow humans. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Um, But while she was at boarding school, there was the the Mau Mau Uprising, which was one of those things that I was like, oh, that's a piece of history I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. So I clicked on the additional Wikipedia page entry for Mau Mau Uprising. (laughs) From 1952 to 1960, Basically, there was a war between the Kenyan natives and the British colonialist authorities. Of course. Right. 
So unfortunately, the this uprising and the war, the ensuing war that was happening, forced her family to move away from their homeland that they had lived in for generations while she was at boarding school. So she wasn't even around while they moved. Their farmland, where they made their living and everything? Yeah. Their farm? They were displaced. Oh. And I also found out that the Mau Mau Rebellion or the Mau Mau Uprising ended with uh, over 11,000 native Kenyan deaths. Uh, and it, at the very end, there were 1,090 executions, what? which is like the highest, the highest number of executions ever performed by British colonialists. Oh my gosh, that's horrific. I've never heard of that massacre. I, I had neither. It's crazy. Oh my god. Uh, but towards the end of this, uh, and partly because of it, there were some Kenyan politicians who wanted to make Western education more accessible to Kenya's most promising students. And Wangari was the top of her class, and she was selected as one of the 300 students to go to America and study starting in 1960. The program was was able to happen because John F. Kennedy, who was still only a senator, agreed to fund the program through his charity. And so it became known as the Kennedy Airlift or Airlift Africa. Mm. So she came to America. She received a scholarship to Mount St. Scholastica College in Kansas, which is now known as Benedictine College. Oh, yeah. And that's where she got her degree in biological sciences. She also minored in chemistry and German. German, huh? German, yeah. That's a wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she went to the University of Pittsburgh to get her master's degree in science. And while she was there, she experienced her first ever environmental movement when a bunch of local activists pushed to get rid of the city's air pollution. And she wrote about that in her book. And she was like, that was the first time I ever saw a bunch of people get together and fight for the environment. Mm -hmm. And it really had an impact on me later in my life. Wow. So she was offered a job as a research assistant to a zoology professor at the University College of Nairobi. She arrives in Nairobi to start her job, and when she got there, it had been given to somebody else. What? Uh. Yeah, she said in her book that she thinks it was either due to gender bias or tribal bias because of where she was from in Kenya. Well, you know what our guess is usually here at Broads You Should Know. <laughs> Gender bias. <laughs> I'm sure it was probably a bit of both. both. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me realize, like, obviously racism exists in every society, every culture. But, like, even amongst, like, different groups of people from Kenya, there's like, no, you are you can't be here because you're a different kind of Kenyan than me. Mm -hmm. and it's like, man, we really got to get over this thing, <laughs> this tribalist nature that we have. Yeah. But eventually uh, she was looking for a job for a few months after that. And... In comes Professor Reinhold Hoffmann from the University of uh, Geisen in Germany. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. He offered her a job as a research assistant in microanatomy in their newly established Department of Veterinary Anatomy. In Germany? Oh, yes. Veterinary Anatomy? Yes. Just oh. very... She, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she, 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 she studied some very specific things that I'm going to get to a little bit later. Her, her dissertation topic made me laugh for a little while. <laughs> anyway, she met, uh, while she was studying in Germany, she met Mwangi Mathai, a man from Kenya who had also studied in America, who would later become her husband. Oh, research buddies. Mm-hmm. That's uh, cute. Yeah. While she was studying, her husband campaigned for a seat in Parliament. Uh, but during the campaign, the 
man who had started the program that allowed students to study in the United States named Tom Mboya was assassinated. And there was this crazy upheaval in the country. Her husband lost the campaign and multi-party democracy in Kenya pretty much ended. Oh my God. Was he, was the guy who started the program like an activist? Yeah, he was, he was a politician. Oh. Yeah, he was a politician and he, he had reached out to America and he was like, hey, is there any way some of our best students could come study there? Because, you know, you have great education there. We're going through, you know, war. Yeah. So in 1971, she obtains her PhD in veterinary anatomy from the University of Nairobi, becoming the first Eastern African woman to receive one. Wow. This is where I wrote, her dissertation was on the development and differentiation of bovine gonads. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's not, so she, that's not a doctor. That's not an MD. That was no, a, she got a PhD. A PhD. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God! And cow cow balls. Yes, she wrote about cow balls. That's awesome. Her whole <laughs> dissertation on that. So after she receives her PhD, uh, she becomes an associate professor at the school in 1977. The first woman ever appointed to that position. While she's there, she campaigns for equal benefits for women on staff, even attempting to unionize the academic staff in order to negotiate benefits. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! The courts denied the union. But many of her demands were eventually met. Well, good. Nice. Yes. So in 1974, the Environment Liaison Center was founded to promote non-government organizations through the work of the United Nations Environment Program, uh, and their headquarters were in Nairobi. Mathai was asked to be a member of the local board and eventually became board chair. She also joined the National Council of Women of Kenya. And the National Council of Women of Kenya is important, so remember that, because that's basically where all of her environmental work starts. She just, like, rises to the top of every group she works with. She just, like... Pretty much every time she shows up, yeah, <laughs> she's just put in charge. She's rad. Uh, the same year that she was um, asked to be a member of the, the board, her husband runs for parliament again, and this time he wins. Yay! Yeah, and he runs on a, a, a platform of bringing jobs back to Kenya. So because she's working at the Environment Liaison Center, she studies hard and realizes that the root of almost all of Kenya's economic problems were environmental in nature. Huh. Like Because the environment was decaying, they were having economic issues, food shortages, like all of the issues stemmed from climate change. Oh, wow. And she realized that. So she paired her ideas with her husband's uh, now parliament members promise for more jobs and started a company called EnviroCare. And their entire business was to plant trees. Is this what year was that when that sort of came together? Uh, 1975, I think. Wow. Yeah, 1975. Wow. However, they couldn't find funding for a business whose sole responsibility was planting trees and paying people to plant trees so the business ultimately failed but the fact that she started the company allowed her to be sent to the first un conference on human settlements in 1976 so she come she comes back from that conference goes to the national council of women of kenya and says all right i have a solution we're going to plant a bunch of trees and they're like we love it so 
on World Environment Day, they march from downtown Nairobi to the outskirts of the city and plant seven trees to honor historical community leaders. They figure nobody's going to be upset about that. How can they be upset about our trees if they're honoring our leaders? And this became known as the first Green Belt, uh, which was also known as Save the Land Harambi and later the Green Belt Movement. And I, I found it interesting that the first time I ever heard the word Harambi was in 2016 when that gorilla got shot. Yeah, right. I thought that was familiar. So I don't know if that's like a Kenyan word for nation or something. Like I act, I'm just totally pulling stuff out of my ass with this guess. But the green belt was known as Save the Land Harambi. I'm looking it up. Uh, thank you. It is a Kenyan tradition of community self-help events, fundraising and development activities. It literally means quote, all pulled together in Swahili. Oh, oh that's cool. nice. Yeah. So, Wangari encourages the women of Kenya to plant tree nurseries and is able to offer a small stipend for each planted tree. Uh, and while discussing the importance of the Greenbelt movement, she talks about the importance of every local community taking responsibility for their own actions and addressing local needs. Uh, one of her big quotes at the time is... We all need to work hard to make a difference in our neighborhoods, regions, and countries, and in the world as a whole. That means making sure we work hard, collaborate with each other, and make ourselves better agents to change. And I thought that was so nice and so important because, you know, we, we like to pin all the, the climate change problems on the companies that are causing most of them and the governments and the big business and so forth. But we all can just get active in our local community of when if we all did that, it would start to make a difference i mean every little thing makes a difference you don't know the the ripples of of a small i mean even her being at that very first protest and right. then she became this huge activist and has made all this mm -hmm. you know you just don't know so at this point she and her husband separate this is 1977 i don't want to talk too much about this but i found it very interesting especially in context of what we're talking about on this show most of the time he filed for divorce in 1979, and in the court document stated that she was, quote, too strong-minded for a woman, and that he was, quote, unable to control her. It sounds like he's telling on himself a little bit. Well, it sounds like that's his fault. <laughs> Can you guys make sure that's that's what's on my gravestone? <laughs> <laughs> Too strong-minded for a woman and uncontrollable. Cannot be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot be con I love that. He also said that she was cruel and that she had had an affair with another member of parliament and that because of that, that was the reason he had high blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That, that dude. That. dude. He had to throw in the dig. He's like, and by the way, that's why I'm bow-legged. You know, he had to throw in. It's, it's her fault. Everything's her fault. So, of course, the judge rules in his favor. Of course. Ugh, and How else she could says, a judge rule, even? Right. How could a exactly. judge Exactly. So she said in an interview later on with Aviva magazine that that judge was either incompetent or corrupt. And a couple days after this interview in the magazine comes out, he charges her with contempt of court, and she's sentenced to six months in jail. No. Yes. Wait, your broad what? was? Yes. For saying that the judge who ruled in her husband's favor was incompetent or cruel. 
she was sentenced. She actually went to jail for six she, months. She she didn't stay in jail for six months because after three days, her lawyer formulated a statement and she was released. And this is they in Ni- like, this is in Nairobi still. Yeah, in 1979. What a dick, man! I mean, you know, I know that we had government problems here, but there there was a long history of like huge amount of corruption on the African continent. So she's not, I'm sure she was right. Oh, definitely. I'm sure that judge, like he paid the judge or whatever. Yeah. Ugh. So after, after she's released from jail, she gets a letter from her ex-husband uh, saying that she is now legally obligated to change her last name. What a baby, this guy. <laughs> Um, and I think probably because, you know, he's a politician and he's like, my name is power and you shouldn't be able to have any of my power. And so she says, no, I'm not going to change my last name. I'm going to keep it, but I'm going to add another A. <laughs> so instead of it's instead of M-A-T-H-A-I, it's M-A-A-T-H-A-I. Yes. <laughs> that is such a great fuck you. That is great. It's like, you know what? I am going to change my name, but not to what you want me to change it to. I'm just going to add a letter. Oh, my God. That is so funny. I love her. She's great. Uh, so in 1982, she decides to campaign for parliament herself. Yes, she did. And because the law says that if you're going to run for parliament, you can't maintain any sort of positions. So she resigns from her positions at the university. Uh, and then the courts say that she's actually not allowed to run because she didn't re-register to vote again in the last election. What? What? And she says she says that's bullshit. That sounds super illegal, so I'm going to go to court about this. Yeah. So they schedule her her trial at 9 in the morning when the paperwork for her to be able to run is due at 3 p.m. the same day. Oh my god. Does it happen? What happens? The judge ultimately disqualified her for running because of the re-registering to vote thing. So she wasn't allowed to run. Asshole. Oh, my God. Oh. So then she goes back to the university, and she tries to get her job back, and they say, no, oh. you can't you can't have your job back. So because she's living in university housing, she was also evicted. Holy shit. So because, oh my God. because she tries to run for parliament, she loses her job and then loses her home and then is not able to work anywhere because she's basically labeled by the government as this like loud-mouthed woman who's a problem oh, Jesus. wait i'm stuck on the judge thing was it the same judge as the first time the i don't judge? have that information but i don't think it was the same judge okay but all the judges talk i'm sure oh i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> dang that sucks yeah so she moves into a small house that she had purchased a while back, and she devotes all of her time to her work on the National Council of the Women of Kenya. And she partners that with the Norwegian Forestry Society and pours all of the efforts of the Women's Council into environmental efforts. Nice. Yeah, so then... Um, in 1987, the Kenyan government said that that was not okay because the environmentalist uh, part of it should be focused on the Greenbelt movement, which should be separate from the National Council of the Women of Kenya because they should focus only on women's issues. So they have to separate. And so she leaves and steps down from the Women's Council and focuses fully on the Greenbelt. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Uh, the United Nations holds a conference in Nairobi where she arranges a bunch of seminars and pre presentations to describe the work of the Greenbelt movement and the importance of it specifically. And because she got the word out, the movement spread across Africa. Wow. And for the next three years, uh, representatives from 15 different African countries come to Kenya to learn from her how to combat deforestation, desertification, water crises, and hunger problems. Wow. What a huge impact. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Kenyan government continues to fight against all of the things that she's doing. Uh, they're constantly trying to get rid of like national parks and put buildings there instead. Uh, there's a lot of different fights. I didn't go into too many specifics about it, but there's a bunch of fights where she's advocating against the building of government structures. Uh, and the government basically goes on record and says that she is a crazy woman, quote, that's a quote, she's a crazy woman, and that these buildings are, quote, magnificent works of architecture that are only opposed by the ignorant few. <laughs> and then they go on to say, the entirety of the Greenbelt movement is, quote, a bunch of divorcees. Oh. oh my god. The ultimate insult. Where's Tuira Kayapo? Let's get her over there. God. <laughs> yeah. Slice those guys' uh, faces right. open. <laughs> <laughs> A bunch of divorcees. A bunch of yes. <laughs> I couldn't believe I was reading through this like thinking like she did great work for the environment. It probably went smoothly. And then like, oh my God, every time I get to a new paragraph of research, I'm like, why are they fighting her so hard? She's just trying people to People widely save hate us. broads, Justin. Oh, I a know. lot of people in the world hate broads. And they hate the environment. <laughs> yeah. This woman needs a break. She needs like someone needs to take her on a really nice vacation and just say nice things to her. Is she still alive? Is she still around? Uh, she died in 2011 from ovarian cancer, but um, oh yeah, no. there's this there's a whole bunch. Well, she did. She got a bunch of our conditions starting post the year 2000. Okay, good. Okay. Actually, she started winning awards in I think when was it exactly? I forgot to write down the first one, but I think it was the early 90s. She started winning awards, and then she that like carried through for a while. Uh, as the environmental movement like globally got more what's the word i'm looking for attention recognized. yeah recognized but there's a, there's a whole big story that i this is where i stopped taking i was like i can't take notes on all this this is crazy where she's in this fight with the kenyan government um but ultimately she fought hard to bring democracy to kenya and finally, in 2002, she was elected to parliament. Yay! Yay! Uh, there was this new party that sprung up called the National Rainbow Coalition, and they put her in charge, and it sort of united all of these disparate parties that were all against the party that was in charge but hadn't managed to find any sort of central leadership. And she ends up winning with 98% of the vote. <laughs> oh, Wow! That's a huge margin. <laughs> oh, yeah. People really love her by the end. Um, Thank she goodness. Serves, mm -hmm. After everything. She serves as assistant minister in the Ministry for the Environment and Natural Resources until November of 2005. Uh, she founded the Mazingiro Green Party of Kenya in 2003 so that candidates could run on the platform of conservation. Oh. 
And in 2000, 2004 is when she receives the Nobel Peace Prize for her contribution to sustainable development, democracy, and peace. She's the first African woman and the first environmentalist to ever win the prize. That's great. Wow. What a great bra, Justin. Yeah. I'm happy that it has a happy ending after, like, Me too. so much pain and suffering throughout her whole story. No kidding. And guys just shitting on her. Just, yeah. like, shitting all over her for trying to help the environment. She, she got the final word. She did. Yeah. She's She's got the Nobel Prize, and what do they have? Right. A bunch of people in history who hate them. Pretty good for a yeah. divorcee. <laughs> a bunch of divorcees. <laughs> a bunch of divorcees. It's <laughs> crazy. Wow. All right, well, that's uh, that's what I have on Wangari Muta Matai. Uh, don't forget to spell it with two A's. Fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, leave us a review on iTunes or tell a friend about the show. You can always reach out to us on Instagram with any broads that you think we should cover on a future episode or to tell us anything that we may have gotten wrong. Happens. That is at broads you should know. Or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. You can head to our website, broadsyoushouldknow.com, to find more information about all of the broads we've covered on this show and find all of our sources. And we will be back next week to tell you all about another broad that you should know.